Helm is the god of guardians and protection. He and his faith look to watch over people of all standings in society. I'm Ben Dignan, and welcome once again to Religion in the Realms. Helm goes by the following titles. The Watcher, the Vigilant One, He of the Unsleeping Eyes, the Great Guard, and the God of Guardians. Helm has no known alias. Portfolio and Domains Helm holds the portfolios of Guardians, Protectors, and Protection. Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide Suggested domains for 5th edition are Life and Light, which those two domains don't jive with what Helm stands for in my opinion. I checked the errata for Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, and indeed, there was no change. This is what they intended. In my opinion, Helm's suggested domain should probably be War. With the later publishing of Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, and this domain's inclusion in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, I would suggest the Order domain as well. Appearance and Manifestations Helm is commonly depicted as a giant of a man in full plate. In 3rd edition mechanics, this full plate is statted out to be a suit of plus 5 full plate with an ever-bright enchantment. Depictions or records speak to Helm only ever wearing a full helm that covers his face. His favorite weapon is a bastard sword that he calls ever-watchful, or vindicator, depending on what source or novel you go off of. In 3rd edition mechanics, this is a plus 4 bastard sword with the holy, keen, and lawful properties. Helm's avatar wields a plus three bastard sword with two hands. His avatars look as much as the god is described. A large-sized human adorned in full plate with a full helm, hiding their face. The avatar can vary in height from appearance to appearance. Should Helm's avatar appear in an environment that cannot accommodate his large height, the avatar will appear as a floating torso instead. Helm has two known manifestations. The first is the gauntleted hand held upright just like his holy symbol, likened to a gesture to get others to halt or stop in place. The second is a floating closed helm. Either of these manifestations may emanate healing magic to aid sworn protectors dedicated to Helm. These manifestations also use magical effects or spells that help to reveal illusions, protect with wards or barriers, empower Helm's faithful, or disallow plane shifting or plane phasing from creatures. In rarer situations, these manifestations produce offensive and damaging spells. Often such spells come from the closed Helm manifestation. Commonly imparted visions from Helm are warnings of incoming danger while a Helmite sleeps. Should chance have it that this individual is holding an unsheathed weapon while asleep, 
The next person to touch the weapon also experiences the same vision, despite any time that has elapsed. Weapons blessed in Helm's name may give an audible, such as a ringing, or tactile, such as vibrating, signal and warning when Helm himself wishes to alert one of his faithful. Helm is known to often provide his followers with visions when they pray in the moment for guidance, especially if these helmites need guidance in interpreting or carrying out conflicting orders given from their seniors. Even those who flirt with becoming adherents of Helm receive such visions occasionally. Helm makes use of the following creatures to communicate his approval, disapproval, or aid his mortal followers. Einhariar, Helmed Horrors, Spectators, Maruts, Watch Ghosts, and Living Steels. Abilities Starting in 1st edition and early on in 2nd edition, Helm is given the rank of a lesser god. Further on in 2nd edition and into 3rd edition, Helm was listed as an intermediate god. 2nd edition's face and avatars mentions that Helm was a more powerful god prior to the time of Troubles, and he was considered then an intermediate deity as well. Yet he is listed as a lesser power in 1st edition before his reputation was stained. So I hazard to guess this is just some retconning going on. Of course, Helm was then dead during the 4th edition era, which we will touch on. If I had to hazard a guess, now that Helm is back, as to what rank he has, I would give Helm the rank of a lesser deity. One of the more powerful lesser deities, but a lesser deity no less. Some abilities attributed to Helm in prose rather than in a stat block are his inability to be knock prone and inability to be surprised. It is a rare thing for anyone to ever trick Helm. Helm has a stat block in 3rd edition's Face and Pantheons. I won't touch on everything given in that stat block since it is quite long. Any check Helm makes automatically comes out as a 20. Should he roll a 1 when making a saving throw or attack roll, it is not treated as an auto-fail. Helm's senses extend out from him to a maximum of 11 miles, which is approximately 18 kilometers. Likewise, he can sense out to the same range from a worshipper, holy site, associated object, or any location where his name or one of his titles was mentioned within the last hour. What's more, Helm can divide his senses between ten different locations at once. Helm may nullify the senses of any other deity of his rank or lower at two different locations for a maximum of 11 hours. Helm has an innate ability due to his portfolios. He knows of any theft or anyone needing protection from the moment these things happen and can remember them without fail for 11 10 days, which is 110 days after such events transpire. Helm may create any item below a 200,000 gold piece value that is to be used in defense of someone or something. Helm has an avatar stat block in 2nd edition's face and avatars. The avatar can cast spells from any sphere. They are proficient and specialized with all types of melee weapons. An avatar may surround themselves in a ring of floating magical shields. These shields reflect back all spells, psionic abilities, breath weapons, and gaze effects without fail, so long as Helm wills it. 
Helm's avatar may manifest the shield ring once per round instead of casting a spell. The shields may be targeted, but if a shield is destroyed, it erupts in a cone of coal directed at the creature who destroyed it. By raising the visor of his helm, the avatar may manifest several magical effects, such as cone of cold, dispel magic, or disintegrate. No illusion works on the avatar, essentially they have true vision, and the avatar can cast locate object at will. Helm's avatar cannot be knocked from their feet, regardless if such spells, explosions, earthquakes, or the like that affect everything else around him. No charm, alter emotion, or dominate spells or effects work on the avatar. Helm's avatar may awake any of his faithful down on the surface of Faerun. Doing so, these people become immediately alert, fully awake, and free from any charm effects presently on them. Personal History Where Helm originates from is not said, though we know with some certainty that he was a member of the ancient Jamdathan pantheon, which may also be called the Ehared. Not to spend too long on Jamdath, but here is a quick summary. Jamdath was an empire whose actions and history coincide with the same period of history of Netheril. Jamdath's base of power was its 12 city-states. It was ruled by a council of powerful Sionicists. Jamdath would be brought to ruin in negative 225 DR. Elves from the Chandawood used high elven magic to bring an immense wave down upon the city-states. The elves were threatened and being hunted by the Jamdathans at this time. The resulting damage caused by the wave created what is now the Vilhan Reach connected to the Sea of Fallen Stars in central Faerun. The twelve city-states lie in ruin and are scattered across the bottom of the sea floor. During a period known as the Dawn Cataclysm, Lathander attempted to wield magics to bring the gods more in line with his own beliefs. The dating of the Dawn Cataclysm has never been agreed upon by sages and scholars. A conservative estimate places the range of this period from anywhere between negative 339 DR when Nethril fell to the first fall of Mithdranor in 714 DR. Indirectly, Lathander caused Helm's lover Murdane's death during the Dawn Cataclysm. Murdane would be murdered by her older sister Umberly. The specifics of how Lathander's actions allowed Umberly to do this are not stated. Possibly, Lathander made all gods and powers more accessible and vulnerable to others. It may be that the gods easily walked the surface of Faerun and back to the plains. Though weakened and accessible, they were nowhere near as weak as their avatar forms seen during the Time of Troubles. Possibly adding some credence to my theory are the sightings of Helm and Merdane seen flying above ancient Jamdath and a loving embrace occasionally. Though these could have always just been manifestations, it can be said that a Jamdath was overwhelmed by the apocalyptic wave that claimed it in negative 225 Dale Reckoning. Umberly may have used that moment to carry out the murder of Merdane and drown her. Ed Greenwood recently put out a video over on his own YouTube channel about Merdane. I have put a link to that video in the episode description. 
I used some of the information presented in that video to flesh out this section of Helm's history. Prior to the Time of Troubles, Helm held the role of neutral messenger and or harbinger between the various deities of the Faerunian pantheon. With future events during the Time of Troubles, Helm is no longer used in this capacity. In 1358 Dale Reckoning, the Time of Troubles occurred. Bane and Merkel conspired and stole the Tablets of Fate from Ao. In response, an assembly was called for by Ao in a planar location. Initially, I thought this location was just Kynoshore, but I believe that it is just a featureless void between time and space. It's not given a proper name in the novel this information comes from. In any case, it was a taxing journey for all the gods to make it here. While there, Helm let it be known that Eo had gathered the deities together because someone needed to answer for the theft of the Tablets of Fate. What is clear from the novel Shadowdale, Helm was charged with guarding the Tablets of Fate, but Merkel and Bane managed to steal them out from under his notice. Annoyed that Helm gave away why Eo had brought together the gods, for what is likely the first time in Helm's existence, Ao used vastly powerful magic to lift Helm up and off his feet, only to then cast him down like a piece of garbage when Helm answered that he sided with his fellow gods rather than Ao. When all the gods stood before Ao, none spoke out and confessed. In punishment, all the gods were banished out from the outer plains and down to the surface of Toril. They were greatly reduced in power to that of their avatar forms. Vulnerable but still retaining their divine essences and still quite powerful. However, Eo did not reduce Helm in power. Rather, he kept Helm to guard the pathways to the outer plains with full divine power and tasked him with destroying any god who tried to pass. This was Helm's punishment, but Eo knew Helm would keep to his duty. Joaquin, in tandem with Lyra, found a pathway up to the Outer Plains called the Celestial Staircase in Shadowdale. As described in the novel Shadowdale, the Celestial Staircase is a network of planar bridges from the Prime Material to a Nexus that then branches out in the directions of the planar divine realms of the Faerunian gods. Tried as she might, Joaquin could not bribe Helm to let her and Lyra pass and later, Joaquin would find her own path with its own pitfalls to the Outer Plains, which will be definitely coming up in Joaquin's own episode. Later, Mistra would find another pathway to a celestial staircase and begin her ascent. She met with Helm guarding the way. Helm being as unwavering as he is, he did not accept any offers Mistra made. Mistra had learned who had stolen the Tablets of Fate and wished to pass that information on to Eo. Helm said he could convey that information to Eo himself. Mistra still wanted to go forward to the Outer Plains personally. Eventually, the two of them came to blows. Tried as she might, Mistra could not pass by Helm, and Helm killed Mistra. The resulting destruction from Mistra's death reduced the lands below to desolation. These lands would go on to be called the Helmlands. Following the Time of Troubles, many felt Helm shared a substantial degree of the blame for the chaos and death of those gods that occurred down on Faerun. 
Mistra's death also caused many dead magic areas to appear across the continent. Some people call these appearances the Legacy of Helm. Helm would later be encountered as the mortal human Cyric brought the Tablets of Fate to the beginning of the Celestial Staircase overtop Waterdeep. Eo made himself apparent, not too long after, to accept the Tablets, only for Eo to then crush the Tablets of Fate. Eo told how the Tablets' true purpose was to remind the gods of their place in maintaining a balance between law and chaos. Going forward, a god's given power would be determined by their number of followers. Now, immediately, I am reminded of a monitor who, in 1358 Dale Reckoning, was in some respects dead, if not inert, after he lost all of his Netherese followers roughly a thousand years prior. But I digress. Cyric and the mage Midnight each became gods in their own right, Midnight becoming Mistra, and the time of troubles were over. In 1361 Dale Reckoning, a strong contingent of Omnian Explorers struck out in exploration across the trackless sea. Along with them was a strong Helmite contingent. They would land on the continent of Mastika. From there, they were undaunted and brutal in their interactions with the native Masticans as colonies were set up. They exploited much of the natural resources for their own profit and gain. Through inaction on Helm's part, opinion of the god shifted. In the years following the Time of Troubles and the colonization of Mastika by Helmites, Helm's reputation became tarnished. He still retained his position as an intermediate god, but several turned away for other deities like Gond or Torm. I don't know what's become of these colonies on Mastika, other than Mastika disappeared to Abir during the Spell Plague, only to return during the Second Sundering. In 1365 Dale Reckoning, Despite their disparate and conflicting portfolios, Talos and Helm made arrangements together with a furbolg demigod called Gron Peaksmasher, who was then imprisoned deep under the earth of the Moonshays. Grond would help Talos and Helm establish their respective face on the Moonshays in return for his freedom. As explained in the novel The Druid Queen, Diedrich Kendrick, would help to convince Gron to break his arrangement with Talos and Helm. Douglas Niles wrote the Mastika novel series that tells of Helm's involvement in Mastika, but the Druid Queen series as well. To me, it seems that he has a weird interpretation of Helm. Suffice it to say, this interpretation does not jive with the rest of Helm's representation and other sources. In 1371 Dale Reckoning, Cyric was called to Kynoshur to defend his inability to maintain his portfolios thanks to Mask's machinations. Kynoshur is a neutral plane where all the gods can meet safely. While Cyric had been failing in his responsibilities, he was able to convince the council of other deities that if he was to be on trial, so too should be Mistra and Kelimvor. Rather than be impartial, Kelimvor and Mistra had been favoring the good peoples of Faerun. Thus, they were too charged with the inability of maintaining their portfolios and roles in the Pantheon. Meanwhile, the Serenishad plot was still at hand down on Faerun. Mistra would try to influence and interfere with the trial a couple times, resulting in her imprisonment by Helm and Tyr. Through one of his servants, Mask freed Mistra from Helm's imprisonment later on. 
After the time of troubles, Helm only reluctantly sent down his avatar to Faerun, only when his most devoted or dedicated place of worship warranted his protection in the moment. In 1384 Dale Reckoning, an argument arose between Siamorph and Tyr about an ongoing battle between Tathir and Kalimshan. Unable to rectify their disagreement, Siamorph moved her realm from the House of the Triad to Sunni's realm of Brightwater. This was at the end of the 3rd edition era, so the realms and planes of the World Tree model are used in this bit of history. In order to mend the rift that had suddenly been brought about, Sunni recommended that Tyr married Timor in order to restore balance. In some form of misunderstanding, Helm becomes accused of trying to steal Timor away from Tyr. Both of these lawful deities engaged in a duel following their strict ideals rather than using better sense. In the battle, Tyr killed Helm. At this point, all the other deities removed themselves solemnly as Timor returned with Tyr to the House of the Triad. It is suspected that Sirik had something at work in this plot, though it cannot be proven. As told in the novel The Sentinel, Helm came back to life in 1486 Dale Reckoning. Cleef Kenrick, who we will discuss later, owns a sword called Watcher, blessed in Helm's name. The sword's magical abilities were dormant while Helm was absent, only for the magic later to become active during the events of the Second Sundering. Not only that, Helm's return also coincided with the choosing of Cleef as his chosen. The more telling event of Helm's return was while Cleef and his companions stood above Underchasm on a series of connected earth moats. This description comes straight from the novel The Sentinel. Quote, the light in the grotto swirled along the walls, drawing itself into an ever-tightening spiral that finally coalesced into the shape of a knight in blue plate. End quote. This manifestation, or if it was Helm himself, graced Cleef with some magical abilities before walking off into the distance. Personality. Helm is a lawful, neutral god. He is resolute and strict while being ever watchful. Many see Helm as muted in expression and willing to compromise the lives of mortals for his own duties. Though he does have a soft spot for children and willingly overlooks any minor troubles that they cause. It is a common enough rumor that Helm will not think twice to sacrifice himself in protection of someone or something in his charge. Some sages see Helm as a tragic figure, a god so bound to his duty while he continually has suffered through and has done things he otherwise had no say in, a deific being who has such a cold exterior due to significant loss. In Ed Greenwood's own words, quote, where other deities can trick, make love, woo, get drunk, enjoy experiences, and so on, Helm is ever vigilant always on the job, end quote. Along with losing Merdane, Helm is said by some to have been romantically linked with Mistra as well. This would have been the lawful neutral Mistra, who presided over magic before her death during the Time of Troubles, let alone that death being at the hands of Helm himself. 
Other learned scholars say Helm's unmoving perspective is one born from a god bent on becoming the strongest among his peers. Helm has never spoken to whether any such perspectives or theories are true or not. Such theory crafting is seen as a wasteful use of one's time by Helm. Personal Realms In the Great Wheel cosmological model used in 1st edition, 2nd edition, and is the assumed fault model for 5th edition Forgotten Realms, Helm resides on the outer plane of Mechanus. His divine realm here is called Everwatch. Mechanus may also be referred to as Nirvana, or the clockwork nirvana of Mechanus. Mechanus consists of a singular layer populated by an endless array of gears. These gears run the gamut of size. At one end of the spectrum are continent-sized gears, supporting entire realms. At the other end are minuscule gears seen only by the most perceptive beings. But these gears all turn at all times, some slowly, others fast. To what end they turn, people are unsure, but they move for an unknown purpose, save one that may be known by Primus, ruler over the plane and the Motrons. Whatever the case, they are all interconnected and affect one another over a grand scale. The petitioners on Mechanus look like they did during their days on the Prime Material with some stylization in their dress based upon the preferences the power they serve holds. I did not come across any mention of what form Helm's petitioners take on. Whatever the case, these petitioners are a serious lot who seem to express little to no emotion. The faces of the gears are naturally devoid of life, though petitioners who come to reside here across the D&D universe have been able to foster vegetation of all types. Upon Mechanus, no illusion or wild magic functions as it fizzles out upon being cast. Travel around Mechanus is said to be best accomplished through the Labyrinthine Portal, a complex network of portals that link the various realms in larger gear cogs throughout the plane. We have some information about Everwatch from the novel Crucible, The Trial of Seer the Mad. Everwatch, or Everwatch Castle, is where Helm watches and presides over a kingdom, quote, larger than any kingdom in Faerun. Everwatch has five concentric wards, all connected in the shape of pentagons. The realm of Everwatch is on a cycle of a, quote, few minutes. At the end of the cycle, a large echoing clank is heard, and the ground would vibrate accordingly as the realm turned one-fifth of a rotation. The center ward contains a city called the City of Brilliance. At the center of this city is Helm's personal castle called Watchful Tower. Watchful Tower has five sides and stands five stories taller than any other structure in the City of Brilliance. I am not sure if the uppermost floor is used primarily as a prison, but it certainly was used in that way in the novel when Helm had Mistra imprisoned there for a short time. The top floor has the balcony around it, and this story is enclosed by glass. Helm stood out on his balcony guarding over his prisoner. According to the Planescape book Planes of Law, Mistra and Helm shared a realm. I imagine the Mistra that existed between the fall of Netheril and the time of Troubles shared Everwatch with Helm. Just within a ward of Everwatch was found Mistra's realm in city called Dwelmerhart. This being an arrangement of mutual understanding given their lawful neutral natures. 
when Midnight took up Mistra's namesake and mantle from the time of Troubles onwards, she probably existed in Everwatch with Helm initially. Likely not long after, the second Mistra moved Dwemerheart to the neutral good outer plane of Elysium to match better with her own alignment. In the World Tree cosmological model used for 3rd edition Forgotten Realms, Helm resides on the plane of the House of the Triad. The House of the Triad is a heavenly place of order and good. The plane features glorious and proud halls, palaces, and courts. Native to the House of the Triad are Archons, typically in service to the lawful good powers like Tyr. Formians, the sentient ant folk, who also reside here and some of their numbers serve the lawful neutral powers like Seamorph and Helm. However, most Formians go through their lives without being called on by these powers. Petitioners and service to the lawful good powers are the native Archons. Their mortal souls start out first as Lantern Archons, who may then ascend through a hierarchy of promotion. Petitioners, whose patrons are the lawful neutral powers, appear much as they did during their mortal lives. Central to the plane is the mountain called Celestia. It is very much an insert of Mount Celestia from the Great Wheel, with its respective seven layers and the deific powers who rule over each layer. The difference being that Celestia is devoid of any of the other deific powers found from both the Faerunian and other pantheons. Three smaller mountains surround Celestia. Upon the summits of these three mountains are found the divine realms of Torm, Tyr, and Ilmater. Helm and Seamorph have their divine realms at the bottoms of these three mountains. Helm's realm is called Everwatch here as well, though it is described solely as a watchtower. Everwatch moves about the plane to observe and watch any portal that opens into the House of the Triad. Watching from within Everwatch is an entity adorned at all times in mithril full plate. The identity of this creature is unknown to any save Helm. This armored creature can innately discern any creature's alignment and intentions. This guardian can instantly summon Torm's celestial warriors if the situation calls for it. Helm himself lives in the Tower of Everwatch. The world axis model used in 4th edition does not account for Helm since he was dead during this time period. Allies and Allegiances Helm has no superior. It would be redundant of me to say in every episode that every deity answers to Eo, but perhaps more than any, Eo seems to have a more direct connection to Helm. Helm's one major ally in the Faerunian pantheon is Torm. Torm is said to be the only one who understands what duty binds Helm and the responsibility that comes with it. For a while, their respective faiths had rivalries and animosities between one another. Only past the time of troubles did Helm and Torm make it known for their faithful to shape up and make amends. Outside of the Faerunian pantheon, Helm is allied with three dwarven powers, Morden, head of the dwarven pantheon, Clan Geddon Silverbeard, god of battle and valor, and Gorm Golthin, guardian god of all dwarves. From there, he's also allied with the gnomish god of vigilance and combat, Gerdol Ironhand, and three halfling powers, Yondala, head of the halfling pantheon, Sir Ololi, goddess of friendship and hospitality, and Arvorin, god of defense and war. Enemies 
Helm has several foes. Within the Faerunian pantheon, Bane, Siric, and Shar continually plot to rule over Faerun in their own disastrous and or tyrannical ways. Garagos, Baal, and Talos bring nothing but ruin and death in their wake. Finally, Mask and those thieves who worship him make light of the rightful property of those around them. Then there is Lathander. It is fair to say that the memory of Lathander's actions that led to Murdane's death are still fresh in Helm's mind. I won't say outright that Lathander is an enemy of Helm's, Rather, you'd be hard-pressed convincing Helm to work with Lathander. Uthgar, patron god of the Uthgard barbarians, scorns Helm along with Ilmater, Tormentir, since these four gods are now venerated by the Black Lion Uthgar tribe. If Helm holds any animosity towards Uthgar, it isn't said. Symbols In the Faerunian pantheon, Helm's faith has two known symbols. The first is the most well-known, an upright right-handed gauntlet with the back facing you. An open staring blue eye with a blue iris is on the back of the gauntlet. This eye is often called the unblinking eye of Helm or simply the eye of Helm. The last and lesser known symbol is the same eye placed on the palm of an upright left-handed gauntlet. Central Dogma from Face and Pantheons, a third edition supplement. Quote, Never betray your trust. Be vigilant. Stand, wait, and watch carefully. Be fair and diligent in the conduct of your orders. Protect the weak, poor, inert, and young, and do not sacrifice them for others or yourself. Anticipate attacks and be ready. Know your foes. Care for your weapons so they may perform their duties when called upon. Careful planning always defeats rushed actions in the end. Always obey orders, providing those orders follow the dictates of Helm. Demonstrate excellence and purity of loyalty in your role as a guardian and protector. End quote. Presence of the Faith Typical worshippers of Helm include... Explorers, fighters, guards, mercenaries, and paladins. Helm's clerics tend to hold an alignment of lawful evil, lawful good, and lawful neutral. We have already talked about how between the time of troubles and the spell plague, Helm and his faith took a hit to their public image. Regionally, folks in northern areas of Faerun took issue with Helm's need to fulfill his duty to Eo during the time of troubles. By blocking the gods from re-entering the Outer Plains, the gods in turn wrought destruction in various places. Not to mention Helm slaying Mistra caused its own swath of destruction. In some locations, attacks from mobs were made on Helmite places of worship. Despite being a faith known for protecting, even Helmites had to make use of mercenaries to ensure their safety at this time. Southern regions were not hurt as badly by the time of Troubles. Rather, their opinion on Helm soured once they learned about the actions of Helmites across the sea in Mastika. Helm's reputation would begin to return to its former position, though just before the spell plague he was cut down by Tyr. For roughly a century, the world was without Helm. A saying in the realms is, quote, If you slay a Watcher, no one who knows about it will guard and protect you. End quote. 
whether this be a sort of curse or Helm's despair manifesting itself. Helm has one known chosen, Sir Cleef Kenrick. Cleef comes from a line of devoted Helmites who kept their faith in Helm even while Helm was absent during the Spellplague era. Cleef has a magical greatsword that functions much like a greatsword of warning that is called Watcher. The Eye of Helm decorates Watcher at the cross guard. The Eye has an insert blue agate that illuminates when enemies are nearby. Watcher is also uniquely tied to Kenrick's bloodline. The sword is light in a Kenrick's hand, but anyone else can barely lift it. Formerly, Cleef was a member of the Watch of the Cormirian city of Marsember. As told in the novel The Sentinel, he joined three other chosen in ensuring another of Shar's plots were foiled during the Second Sundering. As far as I'm aware, Cleef hasn't received any further development past this novel. Though you can spot him in a piece of artwork in the Storm King's Thunder module. Sanctuary is given to any who asks for it upon the doorstep of a Helmite temple. If this individual needs to answer for a crime, innocent or not, Helmites will submit this individual to the necessary court. Though Helmites ensure such individuals will receive fair representation and a fair trial. The Helmlands are those foothills found at the foot of the eastern Stormhorns mountain range. These were the lands blasted by the dying avatar of Mistra's magic during the time of troubles after Helm brought her down on the celestial staircase. Across the Helmlands emerged tar pits which seeped out across the region. This area was plagued with wild magic and dead magic areas, but their occurrence began to reduce. This likely had to do with the removal of a certain artifact tied to Helm, which we will discuss later. This region may also be referred to as the Pits of Mistra. These Helmlands only would later expand because of the effects of the Spell Plague. Hierarchy and Structure of the Clergy Collectively, Helmites may be referred to as Watchers, Vigilators, or Hands of the Vigilant One. Common folk may call them the Watchful. The Helmite faith has a rigid rank hierarchy. The clergy can easily determine the ranks of their fellows at a glance. I found no mention as to whether a color of dress or visible rank is worn on one's person as a differentiator of rank, though. There exist two Helmite rank structures. The first is presented in 2nd edition's Face and Avatars. They use the following ranks for their clergy in ascending order. Novice, Adept, Trusty, Alert, Watch Knight, Guardian, Overblade, High Watcher, and Senior Steel Eye. These ranks were adopted following the Time of Troubles. Those Helmites who were in the Faith before were allowed to retain their old ranks and titles. These members were called Detested and True within the Faith. This term stems from the staying in the Faith despite Helm's reputation suffering in that era. The second hierarchy is presented in the edition agnostic Elminster's Guide to the Forgotten Realms. At the top of this hierarchy is a council of four archancels. Each archancel has four chancels who are personal agents of the archancel and ensure discipline is maintained in the respective quarter of the continent. 
From there are several Bashus who maintain the Helmite presence in a given city-state or region. Lectors come next, and they either command Helmite warriors or investigate issues pertinent to the faith. Progressing down the rank structure are the archdeacons, prelates, vicars, priats, and novices. The honored lady are the devotees of Helm who aren't clerics or paladins themselves, but still operate in some capacity in a Helmite organization or a place of worship. Before 992, Dale Reckoning, there was a single leader of the Helmite faith called the Supreme Watcher. Rumors and speculation, always done well outside the attention of Helmites, speak to corruption within the faith in that era. Helm then made a point of addressing the issue himself and eliminating those in the highest ranks. From that point onwards, the Helmite faith is presided over by a council of four senior ranking clergy members called the Council of Helms. As I already mentioned, this rank is called the R-Chancel. These four our chancels have made a strong point going forward to identify and remove any growing corruption. Each our chancel is responsible for their own quarter of Faerun. Roughly, one takes care of the northwest from Alm northwards. The second takes care of the northeast from the Sea of Fallen Stars northwards. The third covers the southwest out to the Shondlewood and the fourth and final member covers the southeast portion of Faerun that remains. Any corruption that happens in Helmite ranks tends to occur in the upper ranks of the clergy. Greater authority, historically, seems to manifest in some a want to interpret orders and directions their own way. When specialty priests were a thing during 2nd edition, Helmite specialty priests were called watchers though a common insult for them was God's eyes. Responsibilities and Duties of the Faithful Helmite strive to always be watchful and prepared for anything. Plans need to be thought out with care and rushing into a situation is foolhardy. Helmites are staunch, vigilant, and truthful to a fault. For many, these are desirable traits. For others, these are rigid and tiring traits to contend with. Their armor, weapons, and gear are maintained to a pristine state. They keep their bodies well maintained as well through daily weapons training and drill. Helmites train large numbers of bodyguards. These bodyguards, they claim, are truly the most reliable, having been trained in the tenets and practices of Helm. Helmite temples and abbeys provide their numbers, to sustain and build faith-based armies, or they sponsor specific orders. Helm himself mandates which places of worship are to coordinate with one another and share in their responsibilities. Helmites obey their orders so long as those orders follow the tenets of Helm. Orders in Priestly Bodies During the Spell Plague era, a.k.a. the later 1300s and early and mid-1400s Dale Reckoning, a heretical belief came about called the Heresy of the Threefold God. The foundations of this heresy lie with a human called Gedrin Thalavar in Westgate. Recruited as a child into the Night Mask of Westgate, Gedrin received a vision in 1384 Dale Reckoning. 
This vision showed Tyr killing Helm in a duel. When Tyr died, Helm's divine essence flowed into Tyr, restoring Tyr's sight. When he came back to consciousness, he held in his hand Helm's sword, which is called Vindicator in this story. Gedrin would later dream of Tyr being killed by the demon lord Orcus, and from there, Tyr's divine essence flowed into Torm. Gedrin went on to break free from the night masks and form the Eye of Justice, who were all adherents of this heresy, believing Helm, Tyr, and Torm embodied in one god. Gedrin would be known as Gedrin Shadowbane, or simply Shadowbane. The Eye of Justice successfully pushed the Night Masks out of Westgate, but later became corrupted. The Order continued on, only to become adherents of Torm exclusively by 1480 Dale Reckoning. Bulwarks are specialized bodyguards and wards trained by the Faith. They help to bring substantial coin into the hands of the Halmites. These guards are highly prized and paid well by those requiring their services. A common practice among bulwarks is not to talk at all when on active duty. Since bulwarks are a second edition character option, their unique abilities reflect features and terms from that edition. They are surprised rarely. As a bulwark increases in level, they gain abilities in identifying and creating glyphs of warding. Questers are special holy warriors sent out by the Helmite faith to find items or kidnapped individuals. While many of their Helmite followers are passive defenders, questers are active, continuously completing missions and tasks. They are determined individuals who are difficult to phase. Much like Bulwarks, Questers are a second edition character option. Guardian and Protection Sphere spells are cast as if the Quester was one level higher. Locate object spells cast by Questers last for a longer duration. The Companions of the One True Vision are Helmite Crusaders renowned for their staunch loyalty. They have a reputation for seizing and engaging difficult objectives. The reputation took a hit due to some of their members' actions in the colonization of Mastika. Watchers over the Fallen is a very small order of dedicated Helmites who are battlefield medics. According to a 3rd edition supplement, their number was only 11. Despite their small number, they are known best for attending to the needs of large contingents of soldiers. Though they have been known to attach themselves to an adventuring band from time to time. Their battlefield medicine skills have saved the lives of many soldiers who would have otherwise perished. Everwatch Knights are an order of expert bodyguards. Their services bring substantial coin into the Helmite faith. The Champions Vigilant has a long history into Tethir. This order has strict vows to defend the small people of Tethir. Since their founding in 1164 DR, they have combated both miscreants and Tethirian nobles alike. While the reputation of Helm suffered elsewhere in the south of Faerun, following the actions in Mastika, popular opinion 
was still positive into Thier thanks to this order. The Champions Vigilant has 2,000 plus members with clerics, fighters, and paladins alike. Their base of operations is at an abbey in Shevengard. From there, they have two more bases in Velen and Saradush. The Vigilant Eye of Helm, who are also called Vigilant Eyes of the God, is strictly a paladin order. This group is dedicated to the protection of common people and espouse tenets of humility and self-sacrifice. This order welcomes several members from the Companions of the One True Vision. By joining the Vigilant Eye, these new members atone for their actions in Mastika. The Order of the Gauntlet is a combined order of knights and paladins devoted individually to either Helm, Torm, or Tyr. These holy warriors act in the defense of the common people of Faerun. They are active along the Sword Coast and as far south as Chult. The Order of the Gilded Eye is based out of Helm's Hold. This group split off from the Order of the Gauntlet. The founder of this order was said to be inspired by an omen received from Helm upon watching a new symbol to Helm be raised in the Cathedral to Helm. They saw the unblinking eye of Helm cry tears of gold. Others around Helm's hold received signs and spells of their own. The founder was a member of the Order of the Gauntlet at the time and reflecting on his dislike of several of the Gauntlet's practices. This omen from Helm cemented the founder's desire to form his own order in line with his own vision. They are zealous Helmites who look to uproot the corruption of fiends and other evil planar creatures in the northwest of Faerun. The Order of the Gilded Eye is proactive, seeking out dangers and threats before they can act. This has led to protests and complaints of overreaching their afforded authority. Among their ranks are many clerics and paladins, but also spies, exorcists, abjurers, and even some assassins. Those they deem to be criminals are brought to Helm's hold for judgment. They don't respond well when questioned on their actions and pursuits. The Order of the Gilded Eye symbol is similar to Helm's holy symbol, the Eye of Helm upon a golden gauntlet curled into a fist. The Fellowship of the Purple Staff were attempting to establish a theocracy in the wildlands to the north of Termish, at last recording in 1372 Dale Reckoning. The Fellowship was formed in 1368 DR by a small group of clerics devoted to Shantia, Helm, and Salune. As more like-minded individuals from allied faiths came together, small settlements were built up by 1372. These three settlements were hamlets based around their own respective temple farm. The Fellowship believes that they are following the dictates of their respective gods to establish a holy nation. Often, adventurers are hired by the Fellowship to help them deal with threats from the outside. I was not able to find evidence of the Fellowship's continued existence or destruction in present-day Faerun. Appearance and Dress Regionally, Helmite ceremonial dress differs slightly. In the northern regions of Faerun, Helmites wear polished full plates sporting open-faced helms with colorful plumes. Some can afford full plate with an ever-bright enchantment. This armor often is adorned with red cloaks and steel-gray tabards. The Eye of Helm may then feature on these cloaks, tabards, and or the armor. In the southern regions of Faerun, 
Helmites wear full plate that features inset gems and gold accents. Golden eyes adorn the front and back of the chest piece in the armor set. In hot climates, full plate is issued for strong shoulder plates with an open-faced helm. Despite the ostentatiousness of the Helmite ceremonial dress, clergy still wear the ceremonial dress when adventuring. A beautiful set of full plate is still a functional set of full plate after all. They may do away with aspects of the full dress so as to lessen the attention from bandits and thieves. For example, stowing away a fanciful cloak in exchange for one that is drab but utilitarian. Ed Greenwood Presents Elminster's Guide to the Forgotten Realms explains that Helmites also carry two important pieces of kit. One is a dagger whose pommel has a magnifying lens set into it. The other is a spy glass. Bulwarks wear full plate, an open-faced helm, and always wield two-handed weapons. They can be picked out from fellow Helmites by the light blue plume standing atop their helmets. Questers, like most Helmites, wear full plate with an open-faced helm. They can be picked out from other Helmites since they adorn their helmets with a golden plume. Questers wear a gold tabard with helm's eye on the chest. They may use any weapon, but most prefer two-handed swords. Rituals Helmite clergy pray and meditate on their spells either first thing in the morning or just before laying down to sleep. The Helmite faith has one dedicated holy day called the Ceremony of Honor to Helm. This takes place every four years on Shieldmeet. You could liken Shieldmeet to February 29th in our real world, the leap year day. However, Shieldmeet is a widely observed holiday by the people of Faerun, and many holy ceremonies are held on this day, not just in Helm's faith. Now, Ed Greenwood, over on the Candlekeep forums, says that in addition to the ceremony of honor to Helm, Helmites celebrate seven holy days annually that they call Law Days. Each of these Law Days honors and celebrates a renowned Helmite. Some temples may have a couple additional Law Days in commemoration of regional Helmites of note. I'm going to provide a link in the episode description to this specific information, rather than describe these Law Days further in this episode. There are two rites considered the most prestigious. The first is a ritual called the Consecration of a Glimtol. The word Glimtol comes from an ancient language, though which specific ancient language is never called out. Perhaps this is a Jamdathan term. Glimtol translates to favored thing. The consecration's focus is on an item that is dedicated in Helm's name. The second is the consecration of a postulant. This rite is performed when someone is recognized as a new full member of the Helmite faith. The purification is a reaffirmation ritual for those who have come back to the faith or those who have stumbled in their faith and need to atone. The Holy Vigil is a promotion ritual whereby a clergy member confirms their promotion in rank through endurance. Initially, a higher-ranking clergy member casts levitate upon the individual's weapon. Throughout the rest of the night, the individual is to focus on their weapon and not break concentration, so as to not let the weapon fall. 
According to Ed Greenwood over on the Candlekeep forums, the usual Helmite funerary rite involves embalming the body. The individual is buried with their respective holy symbol and weapons. All is placed in a stone casket that is then sealed with pitch or some other means. The holy symbol prevents them from becoming undead. Though in desperate situations, Helmites might animate their fellows to defend holy ground. General Characteristics of Places of Worship Helmites purposefully build their temples near threatened locations. These temples double as forts or citadels. You could not fault anyone for seeing such structures for the first time, and just thinking that these are any other castle or keep, apart from any visible symbols of helm flying or placed upon the exterior. These temples are always under heavy watch. Helmite places of worship often have spectators, the beholder kin, among their number. Central to any Helmite temple is a suit of armor which serves as the temple's altar. Each of these suits of armor was once worn by a former champion of Helm. These suits are relics of the faith. Helmites make a point of hiding caches of weapons within their temple grounds. Many cities throughout Faerun either include a temple, if not a shrine dedicated to Helm, due to his worship among city watches and patrols. Not only that, his clerics, clergy, and paladins often take up a role in the city watches and village militias. Specific Places of Worship Helmshold is the fortified Helmite monastery to the southeast of Neverwinter. The Order of the Gilded Eye currently is in residence in the monastery. Initially just a farm called Helmstead, the hold has expanded over its history to be its own settlement. The most defining structure in Helmshold is the Cathedral of Helm. Like most structures devoted to Helm, it doubles as a fort. This pale gray stone temple complex contains an orphanage, hospital, asylum, and training grounds. Helm's Hold was established by a famous adventuring band on the Sword Coast called the Company of Crazed Venturers. Despite Helm's absence during the Spellplague era, the Hold held out with those in residence remaining devoted and faithful. That was until a succubus worked her magics to bring the settlement under her sway. Thanks to an unnamed adventuring group out of Neverwinter, Helmshold was liberated and brought into the rightful hands of the Helmites. As of late, people speak of visions of some evil moving up and through the catacombs of Helmshold. For now, Helmite patrols have not found anything, but perhaps it is only a matter of time until this evil presence makes itself known. Shevengard is found in Surveil Ford in the Kingdom of Tethir. This temple complex is named after its heroic founder, Shevan, whose actions helped to restore Tethir in its history. Shevan is entombed in his own crypt building separate from the temple proper. Surveil Ford itself holds a strong admiration for Helm and many Helmite adherents. A small toll to cross the Helm Bridge at Surveil Ford doubles as a religious donation to the Helmites. The Black Lion Uthgar tribe have abandoned their nomadic ways and put aside their worship of Uthgar and their totem animal. 
Rather, they have settled at Beorun as well, and now worship Tyr, Torm, Ilmater, and Helm. Second edition's Face and Avatars states that Helm's center of worship is a temple called the Noble Hand in Serlagal. While a temple, it also is a school for guardsmen. Despite its importance, that's all I found written about it. Sentinel Rock is a Helmite shrine in Espar. The rock itself is quite massive and has been hollowed out. You enter into the rock through a hole found up the side of a cliff. By crawling through the hole, it is said you prostrate yourself before Helm, entering one of his holy spaces. An altar to Helm is found down at the end of a path inside. The altar here has a sword of dancing laying upon it called the Vigilant Blade. The sword will animate and help to defend any Helmite or lay worshipper who seeks protection at Sentinel Rock. This is a popular pilgrimage site for Helmites who come to touch the Vigilant Blade. At high noon on the last day of summer, light from the sun shining down hits the sword on the altar. The reflected light highlights a hidden alcove 30 feet up a sheer wall in the shrine. Within the alcove is the Sister Sword of the Vigilant Blade. The Sister Sword is a plus two weapon with the holy and keen traits from 3rd edition. It is not a dancing sword, however. It may be taken from the shrine by a Helmite should they need it in assistance during a quest. The sword must be returned after the quest, otherwise this Helmite receives Helm's displeasure. A ruined temple to Helm can be found in the village of Juneril. The temple has never been rebuilt because of a curse spoken by a princess of Cormir roughly 200 years ago. She was ambushed by bandits who had skewered her through, pinning her to the temple's doors. This princess spoke a curse which brought the temple low, but in turn skewered the bandits with luminous swords. The ready house of the right strong hand is found in Burdusk. Like most Helmite places of worship, it is a school for warriors and guards. The gauntlets, Burdusk's local guards, are trained here. The guard is constant and the clang of weapons drill seems to ring out at all times of the day. Guardsmen and warriors may receive healing at any time of the day. If unable to pay for services rendered, service in kind is a fair alternative. Often this involves guarding messengers who are sending a report to Helmites elsewhere. The house of the guardian is found in Halufar. This temple fortress is ringed by a moat and spiked metal fence. It is said that this fence can be electrified with spells, if need be. The altar inside takes the form of an upright sword. The unblinking eye of Helm glows in this sword's pommel. From this temple, the Helmites can see the towers of Darkhold. Zentharm are a common foe these faithful guard against. The Watchful Shield is a shrine in Baldur's Gate. This small chapel has wings that flank both sides of its entrance, and Helm's eye is in silver above the lintel. Members of the Watch in Flaming Fist are regulars at the Watchful Shield. Healing can be found here in exchange for gold or weapons and armor, though if you have sustained injury while on active duty, the fee is waived. The Citadel of Protection is found in Raven's Bluff. This temple is constructed as a circular keep of notable size. Its tallest turret is the highest vantage point in Raven's Bluff. 
Up on this turret are large lenses fixed into brass frames that allow the Helmites to zoom in to look at areas of interest in the city. Several of the members of this temple are hired out to help guard local businesses, homesteads, and persons of note. The Citadel also offers security escort services to notable locations throughout the region. Above the central cathedral's altar is a standing iron statue of Helm's gauntleted hand. The top of the altar is a huge shield which displays Helm's holy symbol. Around the cathedral are various military regalia and coats of arms. No benches or pews are in the cathedral since services are conducted standing up. Unique to this temple is the celebration of Guardian Day on the 15th of Kythorn. While other faiths mark this day with disdain, since it was the day the gods fell down to the service of Faerun at the start of the Time of Troubles. The Helmites in Raven's Bluff celebrate that Helm was left with his full divinity to carry out his duty. More information and features of this temple are found in In Polyhedron Magazine issue 117. In the past, a portal network was set up for the members of Helm's faith and those who worship the three triad deities, Torm, Tyr, and Ilmater. Faithful of the triad and Helm would use this portal network to dispatch themselves quickly across Faerun. Helm had his portal set up on the banks of the Shionthar River, halfway between Swornubal and Elturel. The portal itself is fixed to the structure of an old stone pier. Helm issued the order for the construction and placement of a stone golem in the Shionthar River to protect this portal. As time went on, use of the portal in particular dwindled to the point of it being all but forgotten. Not helping matters was the blow to Helm's reputation, following the time of troubles and the strain that burgeoned between the Helmite and Tormite faiths. The portal will only function at three specific times during the day. Sunrise, high sun, the term for noon in the Forgotten Realms, and sunset. The key to opening the portal is to pass through the archway erected over the pier while holding a symbol of Helm in the right hand and the corresponding holy symbol of the other god in the left to pass through their portal on the other side. The stone golem still remains, but it is buried by silt. However, Talos sent a devout Marid of his to take control of the golem and disallow any from using the portal. Information on this portal, as well as the other portals in the network, can be found in an archive link I have placed in the episode description. Name temples to Helm include House Invincible in Silvery Moon the ruins of the Halls of Vigilance in Sundabar, the Minarets Gardant in the Face Ward of Calimport, Gauntlet Gardant in the Hoax Ward of Calimport, Tower of the Eye in Procamper, Helm's Shield Hall in Elturel, Helm's Hall in Waterdeep, Guardian Hall in Selmer, the Guardian's Post in Yahep or Yep, the Temple of the Vigilant Guard in Iljak, the Home of the Stalwarts in Velen, and the Keep of Vigilance in Everlund. Unnamed temples to Helm can be found in Hawk's Nest, 
Byzantur, Tazir, Yeshpek, Siridush Eshperta, Tanistan Berni, Alaghan, Halondeth, Laheshiel, Reth, Fort Beluarian in Shult, and Afkatla. Name shrines to Helm include the Altar of Shields in Tilverton. Unnamed shrines to Helm can be found in Tasseldale, Arabel, Cedarspoke, Lasham, Mimp, Ormpatar, Cirque, Telpir, and Iron Fang. Character options from second edition. The Watcher Specialty Priest can be found in Face and Avatars. A unique ability for Helmite Crusaders and the Bulwark in Quester Priest variants can be found in Warriors and Priests of the Realms. For 3rd edition, Vigilant Eye of Helm Paladin substitution levels can be found in Champions of Valor. Two unique Helmite spells called Force Ward and Mace of Odo are found in Magic of Faerun. The Initiative Helm and the Force Word and Mace of Odo spells, along with the Helmite-specific spell called Warning, are found in Player's Guide to Faerun. The following is a breakdown of the features that I think someone deeply involved in Helm's faith, as an acolyte or otherwise, could have for a custom background in 5th edition. For your two skill proficiencies, any two of the three, Athletics, Perception, or insight. For your language or tool proficiencies, I went with smith's tools and land vehicles. For your equipment, there's the soldiers from the player's handbook and the city watches from Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. For your ribbon feature, there's the acolyte's shelter of the faithful and the soldier's military rank, both found in the player's handbook or the City Watch's Watcher's Eye from Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. Next is a list of subclasses I think would be thematically appropriate for a NPC or PC to have if they are a worshipper of Helm. For the Artificer, there's the Armorer from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, and the Battlesmith both found in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, and Eberron Rising from the Last War. For the Bard, there's the College of Valor Bard in the Player's Handbook. For the Cleric, I know Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide suggests Light and Life domains. Personally, I suggest the War Domain from the Player's Handbook, and the Order Domain found in Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, and Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. For the Fighter, there's the Battlemaster and Champion in the Player's Handbook, in Cavalier, in Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Paladin, there's the Oath of Devotion from the Player's Handbook, Oath of the Crown from Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, and Oath of the Watchers from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. For the Sorcerer, there's the Divine Soul Sorcerer from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Finally, there's the School of Abjuration Wizard from the Player's Handbook. Dungeon Master Options This is a list of creatures and humanoids available in 5th edition sources that I think would serve directly or indirectly Helm and his faith. With spellcasters, it is worth your time to change out the spells given in their stat block for spells that fit their theme and role in the world. From the Monster Manual, Helm Tours, Spectators, Stone Golems, 
Acolyte, Animated Armor, Flying Sword, Iron Golem, Knight, Noble, Priest, Veteran, and Guard. From Volo's Guide to Monsters, there's the Archer, Champion, War Priest, and Warlord. All of these are also found with revised stat blocks in Mordenkainen Presents Monsters of the Multiverse. From Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, there's the Maroots, again, also in Monsters of the Multiverse. From Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, there's a Soldier stat block. From Waterdeep Dragon Heist, there's a Sergeant stat block. Then from Curse of Strahd, there are stat blocks for the animated Halberd and Phantom Warrior. From there, I'd like to talk about three creatures that are tied to Helm's Faith, but don't have official 5th edition stat blocks. Ein Hariar are Celestial Warriors who fell in battle as humanoids. Of course, these Celestial Warriors might be known to you better through Norse myth, and indeed they have a large presence on the outer plane of Ysgard. They can be found in the 3rd edition supplement Deities and Demigods, 2nd edition's Monstrous Compendium Outer Planes Appendix, and Planescape Monstrous Compendium Appendix, and 1st edition's Manual of the Planes. Watch Ghosts, which are sometimes called Unsleeping Guardians, are incorporeal, intelligent undead creatures. Their limbs look to be covered in pale white flesh, but their torsos and lower bodies instead have a skeletal appearance. Their eyes are always black empty pits. Due to the method of their creation, they are immune to turn undead. They can lash out with a cold beam attack and a chilling melee touch attack. Another unique ability of theirs is to make a bright aura appear around their opponent's magic items. The attention of this ability is to attract any surrounding monsters and creatures toward the opponent. Watch ghosts are created to serve as the guardians to watch over tombs, keeps, and the like. They are usually created by evil clerics, evil wizards, or undead lords and ladies through an 8th level spell called Create Watch Ghost. A successful casting of this spell over a corpse will manifest a watch ghost with the intelligence of the being who was once alive. The watch ghost, while intelligent, is bound to fulfill the commands of the caster who created them. They can be found in 2nd edition's box set, The Ruins of Undermountain. Living steel usually appear as a humanoid shape made of shining, undulating, at times, steel. This creature gives little off in the way of heat. It is not an aggressive creature, though dangerous if provoked. This creature is immune to several weapons and even some lesser magical weapons as well. Living steel may shape itself into the form of any creature, though its dimensions are constrained by its mass and its silvery sheen makes it stand out. Living steels are immune to electricity. Cold damage is especially effective against them. Living steels are asexual in and will battle other of their kind to the death. They absorb or consume the remains of any defeated opponents. Living steel live mostly in nooks and crannies of rock formations where they can reform to the relaxed blob form. The stats for living steel can be found in Monster Compendium Annual Volume 1. Following that, I'd like to touch on some magic items. 
of note related to Helm. Helm's sword, whether you call it Vindicator or Ever Watchful, has been held in the hands of a few mortals, each of these mortals taking up the mantle of a holy warrior calling themselves Shadowbane. Stories of Shadowbane can be found in novels written by Eric Scott Debris. The hilt of the sword bears Helm's symbol. The sword glows with gray flame, and those deemed unworthy and touch it are hurt by the sword. The sword can magically teleport into the hands of those who currently claim it rightfully. The sword inherently holds the ability to cast a spell called Armor of Faith from previous editions. Through this spell, the wielder is encased in shimmering gray plate mail. The gray colors attributed both to the sword's flames and armor are felt to be representative of Helm's status as a neutral god. Like the bulk of tomes found in 2nd edition's supplement Prayers from the Faithful, Helm's tome is not some ordinary book. The Helm of Helm, not exactly the most original name, upon first appearance looks to be a simple, sturdy war helm. The helm bears no decorative elements save the inscription Sergar on the inside of the visor. Saying Sergar aloud while touching the helm is the first step in using the helm as this activates it. The visor responds by glowing silver. The helm is enchanted to respond in different ways depending on alignment. Any of lawful alignment who aren't worshippers of helm see the silver glow and hear faint singing. Lawful neutral individuals who may then put on the helm hear an echoing call of helm, that being the god himself, in their minds. Those of chaotic alignments are afflicted with a heat metal spell that escalates in damage. Though should anyone else touch the helm during such an event, they do not feel the helm growing hot. A devout Helmite who puts on the helm after activating it will see the roster of spells available to the wearer on the inside of the visor. The visor obscures the outside world, thus the visor must be open to cast a spell at a given target. A devout Helmite who wears the Helm of Helm needs no sleep nor feels tired. They are immune to all enchantment magics, be it from a friendly or hostile source. Spells meant to guard and protect do maximum damage, afflict the most creatures possible, and last for their maximum duration. The first appearance of the helm is said to have occurred in 1264 DR. Then a Helmite cleric was blessed with its appearance, rising out of a bog while helping to defend Erebor from a mixed army of hobgoblins and orcs. Though this story is at odds with others in the faith who state this cleric took it from the skeleton of an older champion of Helm. From there, the Helm of Helms was used to lure in enemies of Shar in Westgate, recovered from Westgate by adventurers, and returned to the Helmite faith. Had its spell roster increased by a Helmite cleric guided by Helm himself, then recovered from the ashes of this cleric's temple by a self-proclaimed champion of Helm, who set out to establish a realm in Tunland. This champion has never been seen again. More information on the Helm of Helm can be found in 2nd edition's Prayers from the Faithful. The Guardian's Tear is a huge King's Tear gemstone unintentionally made by Helm. 
Soon after Helm killed Mistra during the Time of Troubles, Helm shed a single tear. This tear fell towards the surface only to halt and hover above a large tar pit in the now-created Helm lands. A King's Tear gemstone is a gemstone unique to the realms, but even this one is larger than others. One foot in length and eight inches in diameter. The tear, as its name suggests, is teardrop in shape, smooth, translucent, and sky blue in color. Peering into the tear, the viewer sees the battle between Helm and Mistress Avatar replay on loop. This battle is always seen from Helm's perspective. While the Guardian Tear hovered in the Helmlands, the Helmlands continued to grow, and the King of Cormier sent out some of his knights to investigate. There they found a band of gnolls worshipping the Guardian's Tear. The knights managed to steal away the Tear, but they were ambushed by Dark Elves devoted to Malak. These Dark Elves would later use the Tear against the Underdark Drow city of Shamath. I talk about these events in the Cult of Malak in my Talos episode, episode 30. The Guardian's Tear is a relic that was formed from raw magic. It will hover in place and rotate clockwise if left alone. It is inherently warded with a non-detection enchantment and will inherently cast dispel magic on any who touch it. This gemstone casts off, quote, bubbles of dead and wild magic in the surrounding area. Further specifics and information on the Guardian's Tear is found in 2nd edition's Lolo's Guide to All Things Magical. The monocle of Bagthalos is a Helmite relic found in the lair of an ancient blue dragon named Eric Lathraga, though she is more commonly known as Sharp Fangs. The monocle was created in 1141 DR by a cleric of Helm named Bagthalos. Helm sent warning to Bagthalos that magical ability should never be a stand-in for one's own vigilance. This seemingly only emboldened Bagthalos by finalizing the creation of the monocle. In the end, though, it cost him his life. A year later, it was stolen by a thieves' guild. The monocle came to be in Sharp Fang's lair after these very same thieves attempted to abscond with some of her treasure on a later occasion. Sharp Fangs responded by killing every member of the guild in their hideout and taking their treasures in turn. The monocle of Bagthalos is a crystal lens within an adamantine frame. Six small loops surround the outer frame. Through these loops are ribbons of different colors to secure the monocle over the eye. The monocle gives the wearer true vision and an ability called Analyze Dwemer at will. The wearer is immune to gaze abilities and attacks and visual and visual pattern spells. The monocle also allows the casting of searing light. The monocle isn't exactly sentient, but it bears an echo of Bagthalos within it. Those who don it must save against an effect or suffer under a geish spell to, quote, rectify a past failure per the DM. The mechanics and lore of the monocle can be found in 3rd edition's Dragons of Faerun. To round out the Dungeon Master section, the following are some thematically appropriate magic items from official 5th edition sources I feel the Faith of Helm may have access to. 
from the Dungeon Master's Guide. Plus one to plus three heavy armor, plus one to plus three shields, and then all manner of plus one to plus three weapons. From there, adamantine armor, animated shield, armor of resistance, arrow catching shield, brooch of shielding, cloak of protection, cube of force, Darren's instant fortress, dancing sword, defender, dimensional shackles, the awareness Ion stone, the protection Ion stone, iron bands of Bellaro, plate armor of etherealness, potion of resistance, potion of invulnerability, ring of protection, ring of resistance, rod of absorption, rod of alertness, rope of entanglement, scroll of protection, sentinel shield, Spellguard Shield, Wand of Binding, Wand of Enemy Detection, and then any Weapon of Warning. From Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, a reflavored Azorius Guild Signet. From Storm King's Thunder, Banner of the Krig Rune, and Ingot of the Skold Rune. From Bigby's Glory of the Giants, Armor of Safeguarding, Stonebreaker's Breastplate, in the Warhorn of Valor, from Lost Mine of Fandelver, the Staff of Defense, from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, plus one to plus three Amulets of the Devout, and Absorbing Tattoo, from Candlekeep Mysteries, the Watchful Helm, finally from Xanthar's Guide to Everything, Armor of Gleaming, and Cast Off Armor. Thank you for listening to Religion in the Realms. If you're interested in keeping up with the release of future episodes, you can follow the podcast's Twitter and Mastodon accounts, both listed in the episode description. Episodes are uploaded to YouTube, which can be found under Religion the Realms, though there is no visual component. Audio versions of the podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play Podcasts. I was invited onto the Dungeon Cast again to talk with William and Brian about Bane. I've included a link to the audio and video versions of the episode. Thank you to them both for having me on again. The next episode I will be covering Asmodeus, or Asmodeus, however you want to say it, the lawful evil god of indulgence, ruler of the Nine Hells, and archfiend of Nessus, the ninth layer of Beator. Until next time. May Timora look kindly upon your dice rolls, Helm protect you, and Lathander light your path. Music for this episode, Hill Legend by Ian Grimm of tubersong.com.